0: All right, turn with me, if you would, to John's letter, 1 John, chapter 2, beginning with the 18th verse. It should be around page 1022, if you're using a Bible in one of the chairs in front of you. John, 1 John two eighteen. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plainly seen, that they all are not of us, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to you eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you do not have need for anyone to teach you. But as the anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, Just as it has taught you, abide in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's right. I wrote a poem as a way to remember what I was hearing from the apostles' exhortation here. And I want to read it to you. It's short, don't we? So that in Christ we may be not deceived, must we indeed believe what we've received? Anointing Spirit, His testimony, abiding thence and to eternity with our God. Da dum da dum da dum da dum. You remember your English classes, right? Whoops. amic pentameter. or pentameter, what one may hope to commend to the mind through prosaic fact, one may sink into the soul through verse. So I'll be using this poem as a exegetical outline for us this morning, okay? So that in Christ we may be not deceived, must we indeed believe what we've received? anointing spirit his testimony, abiding thence unto eternity with our God. So first part, so that in Christ we may be not deceived. Did you hear how John introduces his thought in verses 18 and 19? Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour, because they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out from us that it might be plain that they all are not of us. You know, some machines still require quarters, right, soda machines, some parking meters, Imagine the frustration of a teen at camp, if you can imagine this, feeding a machine over and over and over again and getting spit out and spit out and spit out, and they're just like, I just want my soda, right? Hypothetically. Only to discover that he had a Canadian coin. Would it work? No, right? The machine didn't work because it received a false quarter. Well, there are false Christs, there are false teachers. Like foreign currency, they can look the same, feel the same, weigh the same, so much that a sorter may put them into your little roll of quarters. And yet, they carry no authority in the heavenly country, nor do they bear his image, who is the heavenly king. Foreign coins are effectively false coins, and so it is with teachers. We must pay attention and not throw them casually or curiously into our pockets. For when the time comes to purchase, their rejection will be embarrassingly evident and do us no good. False is one way to render this prefix anti, right? Anti-Christ. But it also can suggest against or opposed to. Unfaithful teaching among the faithful is not merely a matter of getting it wrong. There is no neutrality in the gospel. One is either for Jesus Christ or against Jesus Christ. There is no in-between. And thus, the Venerable Bede, ancient doctor of the church, in preaching on this passage about 1,500 years ago, says this. John says that the Antichrists have gone out from us, but then adds the comforting words that they were never actually with us beforehand. In fact, he is saying that no one except an antichrist would even leave us. For those who are not against Christ will cling to his body, that is the church. In the body of Christ, there are those who are still being healed and who will not fully be well again until the resurrection of the dead. What he's saying there is, don't think everyone who just doesn't have their life together Or doesn't have the best theology is an antichrist. There are still those being healed, but there are also those who are malignant tumors, and when they have been removed from the body, it is spared. Thus it is that the departure of such people is of great benefit to the church." It should be no surprise that the world, the flesh, and the devil, like a virus, should seek to infect the body's own cells and turn them into a breeding ground against itself. Always the people of God have been been primarily corrupted from within through legalistic and syncretistic false teaching. We could rant all day about what the outside world is doing, but God usually sends his prophets to his people. Amen? How often those who have appeared most for God in Christ have been most against him. Two important doctrines to note here. First, visible, invisible church. Visible, invisible church. We cannot discern exactly who comprises the invisible church, the number of the elect, nor should we try to. But if a teacher has no apostolic succession, no ecclesial office, no institutional accountability, no confession but the Bible, no connection to the visible church whatsoever, please be suspect Not rude, but suspect. We are to be shrewd as vipers and innocent as doves. This applies all the more in the internet age. Okay? Please hear me. Do not just read to read. Do not just read things to read things. Okay? Articles, editorials, blog posts, podcasts are not fillers to merely stimulate your day. Anyone who is published on the web or in a book, especially those who are offering Christian perspective, make themselves to be teachers and are sowing seed into your field. Remember that Jesus says that weeds must grow up among wheat. And he tells his angels and his apostles not to tear them up, lest the wheat actually be torn up with the weeds, and that when the time comes and the fullness of the harvest comes, he will come and gather it all. So there is hope, right? That he on the last day will help discern perfectly what was weeds and what was wheat. But there is also warning. You have gardens, weeds kill they're your plants, right? Let us not open ourselves up to becoming fields of weeds out of boredom and angst. We must discern who we listen to. Right? I see some head nods. Yeah, okay. a, second per, a second doctrine is this, apostolic authority, Okay? There is designated teaching office within the church. This is not a test to apply to every brother and sister you're with in your Bible study, okay? If they share something a little off, if they have an interpretation or a spiritual experience or conviction that you think is maybe a little off, okay, please do not call them the Antichrist, okay? Go talk with them, listen to them, pray with them. We can learn from one another as co-laborers and siblings, but we learn especially from those who are designated to be teachers, who the apostolic, that is Christ-commissioned teachers themselves recognized, will be judged more severely. I say this as I'm standing up here at the pulpit, right? (laughs) Like, okay, any teacher Teaching without the church or teaching different from the church, John says point blank, is a liar and is not of Christ, and the truth is not in him. So that's just two things. Think about the visible church and the invisible church. Please be discerning about what you read, it's not a filler and don't call people in your Bible study the Antichrist, okay? And that is why John is writing in all of this context in verses 26 and 27 to reiterate, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Remember that there's no neutrality Foreign agents to the kingdom are enemy agents, wolves in sheep's clothing among flock, intending, wittingly or unwittingly, to lead them astray. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. By which he means, there's not something new for you to be taught that we did not already teach you. So that in Christ we may be not deceived. Must we indeed believe what we've received? While false teachers and their followers go astray from the church, Christ's body, those who truly know him and belong to him, abide in the church. They abide, they remain steadfast, they remain seated for the duration of this ride, right? Their hands and feet devoted to good works. Keeping their eyes fixed on Christ. In other words, they keep believing what they've received. We must indeed believe. To believe, pistuo. To trust. Now, this verb doesn't actually isn't actually used in this passage, but it's communicated through a related word in Greek, oida. Want to say oida? Oida, to know, to comprehend. Listen to what Reverend Dane Ortland writes in his book that we've been reading, Gentle and Lowly. This is page 125, you want to look it up later. We must bear in mind that the Greek word underlying understood, oida, should not be restricted to merely intellectual apprehension. This verb simply means to know. And as is generally the case in the Bible's language of epistemology, knowing here is something holistic, not less than intellectual apprehension, but much more. It is experiential knowing, the way that you know the sun is warm when you stand with your face raised up to the sky on a cloudless June day. It is an experiential knowledge, but it's also an active knowledge, right? Just as faith without works is dead, believing without action is worthless. Should my commander give me a post with orders to not move until he returns? If I believe him, will I leave? No, thank you, there we go. No, if I obey, I will stay. What trust is there without obedience? Now, what would entice me to leave? I'm sure there might be many things, right? Worry as the days carry on, weariness as supplies run out and my body aches. Warfare without and fear within, as I wonder agonizingly, was this commander ever worth trusting in the first place? But that's the difference here, okay? I won't get into the Greek, but the one who confesses Jesus is who he says he is, is the one who stays. The one who denies Jesus. And who he says he is, is the one who leaves, right? Belief is manifest in action. The justifications for our departure may be myriad, but to abide, there is only one. You believe your commander. Jesus is Lord, period. The commander in this example gave orders, but we receive much more than orders from our heavenly captain. We have received commands to follow, yes, but an in- invitation to accept a fellowship, to join good works, to do new life, to live an inheritance, to share in a kingdom, to reign in forgiveness, to trust in joy, in, to revel in, so on and so on. And we must believe what we've received. And there is so much received. But let's focus our attention to what John is going to talk and name here particularly. Look with me at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. This is the anointing that you received from him, verse 26. The power of the Holy Spirit and knowledge of his testimony. Right? Anointing Spirit, His testimony. What is anointing? Chrisma, Christos, Antichristos, Christianios, right? Christian. Christ means anointed one. They all stem from this word creo, which means to smear, right? to put on oil. Medically, it's healing, applying balms and remedies. Religiously, it's sancti- sanctifying, setting apart something for holy use. Politically, it's authorizing, designating who it is who will rule. Thus, whether the sick for health, the sacred for holiness, the sovereign for homage, all are anointed. We don't tend to anoint many people in the American context, but if you go over across the pond, you will see anointing. right? Because to be anointed is to be appointed to purpose with power. Okay? To be anointed is to be appointed to a purpose with power with power. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, appointed by God to heal and hallow and have all honor. We saw Jesus anointed at his baptism, when the spirit of God descended upon him like a dove and the voice of the father came out of heaven and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we saw Jesus anointed in Simon's house when Mary came in weeping and breaking a jar and anointing him with pure ointment and pure repentance and pure love, preparing her Lord for burial and for rain. And those who believe in Jesus Christ Christians, as the anointed one, are those themselves who have been anointed by him. John, in his gospel, chapter 15, records Jesus saying this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And that, and how is it that the anointed's appointed can abide by his Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the one with whom, by whom we have been anointed. Has anyone touched oils? Oil? Okay. Yeah, in your fingers you can just imagine it like this, right? Like, have you ever thought about all that oil does? Oils can enhance the vibrancy of color. They can deafen the harshness of hinges. They can fuel fire for light and power. They can infuse our air and soften our hair and they abide, right? I mean, really, have you ever tried to clean off oil? You didn't do it successfully without a lot of hard work and very special soap, right? The Spirit of God is much more powerful and more purposeful than earthly oil. He unstops ears to hear, brightens eyes to see, looses tongues to praise, moves hands to care, and fuels hearts to live anew. You may not sense him all the time. I mean, this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday and I had ash-infused oil on my head, which I forgot about often and therefore did this all the time. You know how many, I've stained things now with oily ash, right? because I forgot. But it doesn't mean it wasn't there. He is alive among his church. He abides within his church. And hear this, he cannot be washed off. Amen? So what does it look like to receive him? You can turn in your Bibles if you'd like to Acts chapter 13, or you can hear this account with me. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 44, Luke records a scene that I think depicts what it looks like to receive this anointing. Acts 13, 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. False teachers can come about for a lot of reasons, remember. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But, since you thrust it aside, a.k.a. did not abide, and judge yourselves unworthy to receive eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying God with the word that they had heard. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord spread through the whole region and the disciples all were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. How do you respond to the word how do you receive it how we receive the word is itself sorry i can resist this a function of the unction unction means anointing okay now you know function of the unction right how you receive the word is itself a testimony of your anointing. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed, rejoicing and glorifying God, filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. This is not something that we can fabricate or curate. Remember, there is no lie in the truth, God is truth, and there is no pretense in the Holy Spirit. But there is participation. Not pretense, but participation. Listening is a cooperative act, right? And the spirit who empowers us, kind of like a divine battery packed into our radios, he also attunes us to listen aright. So how is it then in participation with the Spirit, that we can be tuned to the right testimony? Well, I'll offer this. Pray the Word. Pray the Scriptures. We can neither hear nor speak the Word of God without the Holy Spirit. It is He who opens our ears and is He who speaks through the, Spirit, uh, through the Scriptures. right? So that in praying the word, you know, you can have confidence that you must be abiding in God. No one can pray the scriptures without the spirit of God abiding in him or her. And this can come in a number of fashions, right? When you hear the word preached, like we are this morning, listen, take notes, don't nap okay but all the more pray pray if you take notes go back and pray them if you're listening to the passage pray it practice turning into it into prayer you can do this with one another that's why we have the lord's day but it's also something to revisit in small groups or in your homes you can turn back to the passage Learn to pray with one another, not just, well, here's what I liked about the sermon. I know you like everything about my sermons, but you know, just kidding. It's really easy. I know as a preacher, it's really easy to spend time evaluating a sermon. If I might be bold by an old Welsh preacher who taught one of my homiletics class, you may not judge a sermon God is speaking to you. Your job is to pray it and let it form you. He was Welsh, he had a better accent than I did to impose that. And so we can pray what we hear on a Sunday morning. But all the more, we can practice reading prayerfully ourselves. Okay. There is a practice, Latin, Lectio Divina, in English, Divine Reading, which is a mode of prayerful, affective meditation upon the Word. I'm going to get into this, and some of you in the youth group may recognize some of the things that I'm talking about here. Okay? Here's how you can go about prayerful meditation upon the Word Be still together or alone receive a short passage from scripture one that you already knew ahead of time or perhaps even just taking the sermon passage first john 2 18-27 quiet yourself do you all know how much noise is around and within you there's a lot hold your hands out and let by naming those things, let God take them. And with the same posture, let yourself receive what God would want to speak to you. We come into reading the scriptures with all sorts of preconceived notions about what we want to hear. God is not interested in giving you what you want to hear. He was interested in giving you what he wants you to hear. And that means we have to cloud out some of this noise. So be open. Then read the passage several times. Chew on it. That Hebrew word for meditate is like chew. Digest it. Ask yourself, what did I hear? What words or phrases stand out to you from the word? Anything that stands out to you is being pointed out to you. Remember, the Spirit is alive and active. Read it again. Ask God, why am I hearing these words? Direct your thoughts and feelings into that question and prayer. If it's anger, vent. If it's fear, cling. If it's shame, cry and look up. If it's hope, revel. The psalmist does all of these things. And the same spirit that empowered the psalmist is the one who anoints believers in Jesus Christ. You have every right to bring every emotion to God. Okay? And he already knows what you're feeling anyway, so don't try and hide it. Conviction, comfort, counsel, encouragement, any answer that you might have from God in the sense of your heart in reading, these are all functions of the Holy Spirit that he promises to give. We can abide with God through his word, by his spirit, because he promises that he's with us there. So that in Christ we may be not deceived, must we indeed believe what we've received. Anointing spirit, his testimony, abiding thence into eternity with our God. You know, Brother Don, next week we'll have the privilege of preaching the next verses of this passage. 228 through 33, they're awesome so I just wanna direct our vision there in hope of this week and for hearing it next week. John 2:28. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. I love singing, Jesus I come, right? When the church remains in the scriptures These physical scriptures, this physical body, the real physical spirit among us, faithful proclamation and fervent prayer. When the church remains, the spirit does not merely inform us, but he forms us. Not only informs us, but forms us into the likeness of the one from whom we have received the word, the one whom we believe, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, our friend, our brother, our very life. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. This is the word of eternal life, amen, amen. Lord, would you sink this into our hearts, for you are the master of verse, the master of the universe, and you are master of our own lives. Would we live as such, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of your spirit. Amen.